sometimes people just need to be shown that these tools are out there and here's a here's a applicable use for them that you mm -hmm. can do today you know because i think when episode came out it was very technical you know if you watch their tutorials just like create a visual style over your video and and it doesn't go further than that it doesn't show you something fun you can do with it yeah you know? and i think i think we need more creative tutorials out there we need information presented in a way that conveys the the output of what you're gonna do Audio's going audition. I got you here, uh, so I think I think officially everything is okay. We can. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I'm going. Okay. Great. Well, it is uh, really great to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Um, I when I first uh, asked you if you'd like to do a talk, I wasn't really sure if I'd even hear back. So the the fact that you said yes, I, I really appreciate. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I like to make myself as available as possible, <laughs> which becomes a lot harder after you have a million subscribers versus 3000 that I yeah. had in November but yeah so when and I, where I can I was um I was skimming through some of the other uh, interviews you did just uh, to try to not be too repetitive but that that still might happen and um what one of the guys who was talking to you yeah you 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 brought up having 3000 in November that's a tremendous amount of growth in a short period of time that that must feel really weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i said a similar thing to him that it it felt like a long time coming but also it went far beyond my expectations yeah. you know it's hard to gauge how much how accessible your own stuff is you know to a certain mm -hmm. level like I felt like I was kind of niche. I'm going to make sure to say niche because I said niche and I saw some <laughs> comments about that. But I, I, I figure I always thought my stuff might be kind of niche and I think some of it still is. But so I thought I might if I did blow up, I thought I'd hit 50K to 100K, but it just kind of yeah. kept the ball going. So yeah. that was amazing to see. No, I mean that's really incredible. I mean, I saw right now it looks like you're at like a million and ninety thousand, but back in December a hundred thousand. So the fact that you know, like a hundred thousand is an incredible milestone. So the fact that that just happened like eleven more times is pretty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is funny because YouTube, the, I actually just got them this week, or one's coming tomorrow. I got the golden play button for a million yeah. subscribers. Yeah, and the silver's coming after because they never sent me it. So <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting the hundred thousand after the million. So oh, that's even great. YouTube couldn't keep up. I guess <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I know that there's like a diamond one too. I don't know if that's for ten million or what, but that's hilarious to me. I. Think it's ten million, and then at fifty million you get like your own unique one. But how? Who's gonna hit fifty million? That's like a yeah insane. Well, for, yeah. May, maybe like the Mr. Beast guy. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Beast. He's on a tirade. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, see, I, it's funny. You you just said that your work is niche, but um, I when I was uh first going through it, I I I really have found every sketch I've watched of yours like really really funny. So I think that your uh consistency is really good. And um something uh there's this comedian I like named Gerard Carmichael and I think he uh he's really intentional with uh the work he makes and uh something he said in an interview once was how he kind of believes that 
people find more connection and specificity. And he was saying how, you know, if you make stuff uh, for like the lowest common denominator of appeal, then, you know, you're, you're kind of scratching on the surface of what people find enjoyable. But if you make something with a really, really narrow perspective in a weird way, people kind of connect to it more because they can kind of feel the intention behind it. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I think I think niche was more so that I wasn't seeing so much of what I was doing. You know, a lot of YouTube sketch comedy is that sort of punchline. You, you almost get the joke by reading the title mm-hmm. kind of video, you know. So I, I don't think – I think my stuff has a lot of relatability and there, there, there's a lot of like what you said, specificity. I, I'm – I'm looking at very specific things rather than like broader or appealing yeah. things. And, uh, and it was more so I just wasn't seeing a lot of success for something like I was doing. And that's where I felt I, uncertain how much appeal there would be. Yeah. It, um, it's, it, it can definitely be a little bit frustrating doing something consistently for a really long time. And then eventually just thinking like, am, am I crazy? Is there no appeal value to this? Like, am I just, you know, p- uh, catering to like this group of a hundred people across the country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It did, it did wind up feeling like that. Cause I, I was, I, you know, my friends and I, you know, I have a lot of friends who help out and act and play characters. And we were all like, loving what we were making and there was a lot of conversations like what's wrong like what is it just youtube is it like yeah reddit is it's just it was so hard to break through and i think that hump and like reaching that hump is like the gauntlet that's the test to see if if you can like push through and make this work for yourself right yeah I, I have no idea how to appeal to Reddit. If I get seven <laughs> up votes, it's a good day. <laughs> yeah, um, they're very uh, temperamental. You, you don't know. Yeah. One day they'll hate hate you for self promotion, and the next day they'll love you. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like I I faced you know, a lot of that. You you were you were kind of talking to how your uh your sketches are a little bit less broad, and they um kind of focus on you know, really specific jokes and whatnot. And, um, I, I think that, I think that you, your, your titles kind of are good at hooking people because like you said, it it seems like it's going to be a little bit relatable or maybe a familiar concept, but I like how, I think that you really drive your jokes into completely unexpected territories. Like, um, Recently, you made the 99% of men make this simple mistake video. And, <laughs> when, you know, I, that, I don't want to ruin it, but, like, the, the place that that goes to is just so out of left field of where you think it would start, you know? some Somebody might think it's going to start as, like, a very generic, like, BuzzFeed sort of, like, you know, commentary on dating, but it, it goes somewhere completely different. So I, I think that that sort of... I think that sort of stuff can make your videos a little bit addicting, you know, looking at the other ones and thinking what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I don't want to be predictable. And, like, I think that's why I also do such a wide variety of stuff because I don't want to be predictable for myself. You know, as an artist, if you if you start to feel predictable for, like, you're not surprising yourself, you're going to stop surprising your audience, right? So, mm. so I'll always try new things is important to me, but 
also YouTube is just this like amazing place with all these like built-in like tropes and stuff that you could really play on like like those clickbait titles where you think you know what you know what the video is it's like oh i've seen a title like this a hundred times yeah and then you take it there and then you take it further or you just turn left right away and go some other way or you, you hit five different points off of the like one central point mm-hmm. I, I think that that's what really sets my stuff apart for me in a way that I'm fulfilled creating it is that I'm always uh I'm always trying to build some sort of scene or story or characters is not so much just these blank slates to communicate a joke there's a feel for the people in the films you know yeah and th- there's like a story being told regardless of how simplistic or silly the idea is. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that that comes through. Um, and I imagine it makes uh, making the videos a lot more rewarding for you. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I was watching your video, um, the, the, the guy who's responsible for serving sizes. <laughs> and uh, something I... So I, th- I think that was a video where I really noticed what you're saying because the, the manager guy who um, didn't seem to really think that the the guy was small you know i i was thinking how uh somebody might make that sketch and the joke might be that the manager just doesn't get what's going on and they might just kind of play the the straight man against the comedic situation and he's just you know kind of you know he's like sort of neutral the whole sketch just being like i don't see what you're talking about but you you kind of you brought it to this place where he was like emotionally upset <laughs> about you know the idea of having the having to fire his little buddy <laughs> and um i i yeah i think your characters wind up becoming very multifaceted and i think that emotional thing really kind of hooks you in yeah and i have uh, some more dramatic films on my channel the mm-hmm. feature length particularly and um i think like that's what I love in film. Even in comedies, I love the feeling of a real character. You know, somebody you could latch on to and be like, yes, I get that. And then you're laughing. Or you're laughing and then you're like, oh, damn, I get that. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you pull back and you're like, oh, wait a second. You know, and, yeah. And I, uh, yeah. I'd I'd love yeah I'd love to talk to you about um the features you make because I uh, I I watched um pretend that you love me uh, and mm-hmm. I I gotta say I I was really blown away I think that you did a fantastic job with that piece um it seems really personal and I um I'm not even really sure what to ask you about it but uh it, it sounds it sounds like you made it over the course of like half a year or so did you start that last summer. Uh, it came out last summer. Okay. So I, st- I started it the summer of 2019, and from the first day of filming to, like, releasing it was about a year. Wow, So okay. it took it about a year to make, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, no, I I thought it was really incredible. I, um, I, I don't want to ruin the film too much, but I think, you know, it takes some unexpected turns, and um, the first, you know, the first leg of it where you know those turns weren't even made yet i thought that um the performances were really really good and i felt a big emotional connection and i um i 
I'm curious as a director, like how, when, when you were first coming up with the idea for that project, how, how did you decide where you were going to start? Because I imagine, you know, bringing in other people to be in a movie like that, you'd have to kind of explain the concept a bit and, you know, how it's going to be filmed, you know, mixing some natural conversation with scripted stuff. Like how, how, I don't know. How did you start something like that? It, in some ways I had been building up to it. I have a couple, I have this series called I'm going to be famous Mm -hmm. that I touched upon some romance of my, like my real life romance in, and I have a film called Island, which is without giving away too much. It is the world's most abstract breakup movie and uh <laughs> yeah. i'm not sure even some people don't come away realizing that but that's what it was to me and there was these elements of reality where you you i love stuff like i love i do you know like kiristami like iranian like meta cinema like no i so, no i don't i don't think i do so there, there's a lot there's, there's this whole wave of uh I, this would be a whole separate tangent but essentially yeah. there's a, a lot of filmmakers from iran who create these very meta films that are uh you know toying with the idea of what's real and what's not and a lot of it stems from the iranian government's strict control over what art can be and so in this sphere where you have all these rules they they have to get creative to like get away with doing stuff and th- these like meta films kind of branch off from that and i i've always found it a immense relatability there because i feel we are also inundated with rules it's not dictated by a you know a tyrannical government that is c- <laughs> controlling our art but yeah. i think uh rules we put on ourselves and rules that like the if you're trying to make it in the industry things you're supposed to do and Mm -hmm. um i've always felt such a strong connection to that because i'm like how do you create a film different than how people want you to do it or tell you to do it and i think that's the heart of what the iranian meta cinema is and so i i got really attached to this idea of maybe things can feel real or maybe things can actually be real, but it could still play as a narrative. And like, I think the the impetus of uh, pretend that you love me came from this belief I had built up over the years that my struggles are inherently compelling. And I think that's the strongest thing my art has given me. It's you don't need to exaggerate. You don't need to purely escape from reality you can present your struggles whether it is in a more abstracted way or in a very direct way and people will relate because everyone goes through stuff you know everyone goes through the specifics hardly matter everyone goes through heartache and loss and and loneliness and all this stuff and the belief that just presenting myself as is was not only very therapeutic, but I think it's very freeing for people who watch it because they can be like, Oh, my problems can matter too. And my problems 
could make for compelling art and they could make for, uh, you know, they could inspire other people to be more open and express themselves. And so the, the, the more, uh, logistical answer is the start of the film was, I, I don't want to spoil too much because the film is always playing with the idea Mm -hmm. of, is it real or is it not even, even throughout. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, but there, I got the I got the uh, the women who are in the film involved in this idea that like let's record ourselves going on dates, you know, at, at dates, dates. <laughs> but uh, the you have to see the film because yeah, there are yeah. answers there. But um, uh, Ed, we we essentially just uh, took it scene by scene. I had no grander plan, and the real world does come into and out of the film many times in ways I couldn't have premeditated. Yeah. And um, uh, I grew very disinterested in scripts a couple of years ago, and I haven't scripted anything since because mm-hmm. I, I like the looseness. I, I, and the looseness lends itself brilliantly to a no-budget movie. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you script something, you're waiting on this to fall through a location or uh, the uh, – you know, actors you need, or if it's a bigger scene, maybe you need a crew. And, um, when you don't script something, you, you could just film that day, no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening that day, it can be part of the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, that was how I approached my movie Island and pretend that you love me. And Island is, uh, at least for most of it, it's a little more abstract. Mm-hmm. And even then I, uh, was operating from this space of like, I want to create emotionally. I want to try to express what I'm feeling that day through the medium of film. Yeah. I, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, that was a very long winded answer, but I hope oh, oh, no. <laughs> it got, it got no, to no. something. I, uh, that, that's honestly about how long I tend to talk with people as well. <laughs> so don't, don't feel mm-hmm. bad about it at all. I, I completely, I, I completely understand. I, um, yeah, I I agree with like everything you just said in terms of um wanting to make things non-traditionally and, you know, finding ways to get art out there even if it means, you know, breaking some conventional rules like scripting or um, you know, inner uh mixing like natural with uh planned. Um I have well, and for one thing, I I, uh, I think it's really uh, great that you explained um, the inspiration from those Ira- Iranian movies because that I think that brings a great context. You know, I I never would have thought that unless you told me. Um, I'll, I'll have to look <laughs> yeah. into that uh, wave of cinema. Um, with uh, yeah, with pretend that you love me. When you started to integrate, um, you know, the the real world into the movie world, it, it, it really blew me away because I realized that the story and, you know, the sorts of feelings that were going to be transmitted, it was just going to be elevated to a whole, you know, new level that I didn't anticipate with the initial story. So I, I, I think that you were really successful with that. And um, with uh, Island, I, I have not, I, I feel bad saying this, I have not had a chance to finish it. I had to stop watching it uh, just because of the how my day was scheduled. But I watched like the first half hour and same thing. I think that your resourcefulness really comes through with how you make things. And I, uh, I, I went to film school here in Arizona and um, I, I think film school really 
um, drives a lot of conventions into your head in terms of you have to do this this way and you have to check these boxes or else people won't like it or people won't get it your idea won't come across so I think there's a lot of people out there who want to make art but they take you know maybe five times as long to get an idea out there as they could because you know they're you know carefully premeditating um Mm -hmm. when they could just be you know trying stuff and making stuff so I, I think it's really incredible that you're able to make stuff at such a high quality without uh scripts Mm. and i think that just comes with uh you know a lot of practice i think i always say i'm not doing anything like anyone else couldn't do you know obviously i have years of experience and practice but i i have a pretty i have a black magic pocket camera and i don't do any lighting ever I, i hate lighting i just use available lights or natural light and it's just like I've always said, get rid of the stuff that annoys you about filmmaking, you know, because there are these conventions. It's like, oh, you do need lights. You got to make it look like a film. It's like, no, why can't it just look like life? You know, why can't I just capture like a room dimly lit or not looking like cinematic or and so I hate lighting because I think it slows everything down. And I, I try my best to be incredibly efficient. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. And um so I get I got rid of lighting. I didn't like writing scripts, so I got rid of that. And then I just practiced with what was left, you know, and figured out what can I create. I got rid of these things that were making it a bore for me. So now it should be fun. So let's do that, you know. And yeah. I think I think my shorts and features feel very different, but they come from a similar school of improv and make it up as you go. And uh I think I think it really just translates pretty directly because, you know, you could film a two, three minute short in a day. So just make 20, 30 of those and you have an hour long feature, you know, to yeah. loosely connect or string together. And I, I'm excited at the prospect of anyone who saw my film getting inspired in any way to create something similarly who might've been bogged down by the conventions prior. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I think that's what excites me most about having an audience now is being able to show people this alternative. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, when I made my uh, capstone film for film school, I, I, so I, I really enjoy being a director of a project, um, but I also really enjoy being a cinematographer. I'm, I'm filming myself right now with a Blackmagic Pocket as well, and I, I tend nice. to I, I, I tend to use available light a lot as well, just because I, I like how it looks, and you know, a camera like this can uh, do well with it. And um, when I was, uh, I've, I've just always thought I wasn't, you know, really the best writer, you know. So if I finally came up with the idea for a story that I was excited about, then I was so excited to have a story to tell. But then the next problem was, you know, writing a dialogue that doesn't sound bad when people say it. So when I made my (laughs) my capstone uh, uh, film, I just decided to make it silent. And I just thought, you know, how can I how can I tell this whole story only using, you know, images and actions? And um, right now I'm uh, making a new a short film where similarly I it's going to be very 
abstract and kind of just, you know, silent. And I'm just trying to capture a lot of really nice images that I think, you know, when weave together, you know, paint something really nice. And uh, I, I've definitely gone through thoughts of like, is this going to translate? Is this, you know, something that people will enjoy? But I, I've always kind of thought uh, similar to what you were saying, that if you just try to make something from the heart and, you know, tap into like a specific emotion or point of view I, I i think like you said people are kind of inherently interesting and relatable and the way that we see things is very unique you know so it um yeah i i think seeing people do the sort of stuff that you do is definitely um inspiring to a lot of video makers because it makes them realize okay i i don't need to overcomplicate this i can just go make something that and you know, there is this element where I call everything on my channel films, and that's very intentional, mm -hmm. you know, be because I think there is this, I, I went to film school too, and I'd love to see your films, I'm so, if they're on your channel, I'm sorry sure. I haven't. Oh, no, it's, it's okay, it's out. okay, I'll, 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 uh, email, I'll email it over. Yeah, <laughs> but I, uh, I went to film school, and there was so much discouragement not just from like the you know the conventions but you know from some of the faculty from some of the professors and there there's equally a lot of encouragement i don't want to sound bad i had a lot of great friends and a lot of great professors mm -hmm. but there was kind of this bummer attitude about things and it's like well yeah you're you're going to have to be a pa for 10 years and you're going to have to you know and it's like oh well that's how it goes you know and, yeah. and then people who are like like I made a movie like my movie I don't I don't use crews ever mm -hmm. like I, it's literally just me and my friends and if I need a shot of me I just hand it to the closest friend you know and we we don't you, we don't like have like uh roles and labels it's just and that's why my films end with a film by whole list of everyone you see because gotcha. every everyone does a little everything. I do all the editing just because that's the tedious work part that mm -hmm. I don't want to make other people do. And <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I get an enjoyment out of it. And, um, but I, well, where was I going with this? Uh, oh, well, I, I, you, you were just talking about how in school sometimes they can be a little bit discouraging and, you know, the whole PA for 10 years thing, you know, so you're, <laughs> you know, just being resourceful with the people around you. Yeah. I just, I was shocked they didn't pitch an alternative and I watch more YouTube than anything else. You know, I watch, I don't watch much TV, but I watch YouTube and I love watching movies. I just try, I wish I had more time, but mm -hmm. uh, like YouTube is just this thing. And I'm like, how is this not pitched in film school as filmmaking? You know, yeah. especially if like, I went to Pratt in Brooklyn and a lot of the professors came from more experimental backgrounds where it's like a film can be anything, you know, mm -hmm. a film can be a shot of a lemon. I forget who did that. It was like <laughs> a s s seven minute shot of a lemon or something. Yeah. Uh, or, like, you know, those classic experimental films. And I'm like, if this is a film, then anything that's audio and visual is a film. Mm -hmm. So there, there is this discouragement inherently online of, Oh, you, uh, you're making videos, you're a YouTuber. And there's mm -hmm. a connotation with that, that it's like, that's not as serious. That's not as artful. And I think 
just take it. And I, I had some people like, ah, oh, why do you call it films? <laughs> I, I'm like, have you seen some of the like most famous like shorts and experimental shorts? It's like anything's a film. Yeah. And I call it films because I think it signals to art in a way that video doesn't. And I think people want to feel like an artist. They want to feel like a creator beyond like, you know, pure content, you know, and there's nothing wrong with content in the idea that you're putting a lot of stuff out. I think that's valuable too, but Mm -hmm. I I think people want to feel like an artist and limiting them to, Oh, you just make videos feels very discouraging in a way that you're making films. It's like, you're already doing it. So great. Chase that, you know, and I, I, that is really uh, the heart of why I call everything films and they're videos too, you know. I'm not in denial that they're videos. They're yeah. videos. They're sketch comedy. They're you know, they're skits and they're films. And like, I I don't know why. There's a lot of people you'll run into that are kind of eager to label things. Yeah. And e- eager well, to like. Yeah. I, I I think yeah no I think with the internet there's definitely a sense of you know pretentious police where they think like oh this guy thinks what he's doing is a film this isn't a film and I think that that attitude is really lame because you know it's just you know shooting down what somebody's doing and I, I completely agree with you like all this stuff is filmmaking and uh i apologize if calling uh them sketches earlier was offensive at no, all no 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 <laughs> i uh but um yeah the first time i think i really was introduced to that idea was i was watching uh every frame of painting video essay about um chuck jones who you know did a lot of really famous looney tunes and um the the essayist Tony Zhao he uh, he referred to Chuck Jones's uh, Looney Tunes episodes as uh, some of the greatest uh, films ever created, and I remember mm. thinking like oh well of course I, you know I I really really like cartoons and in my head I had never really thought of you know an eleven minute cartoon as a short film but you know that's totally what it is, and mm. then um. Bo Burnham, who, you know, directed uh, his movie Eighth Grade and got distributed by A24, I I was listening to him in an interview, and the interviewer was saying, um, you're the most uh, successful YouTuber of all time because you left YouTube and went on to make a, you know, a feature film that's in movie theaters. And he said, you know, I I don't agree with that at all because there's a lot of people on YouTube right now that people care a, a lot more about than me. And he was he was saying the same thing where people are very quick to label things and kind of create like a tier ranking of legitimacy with art you know and he was saying mm-hmm. like you know there's there's people putting out youtube videos every week that that get million more eyes on it than anybody will ever watch my movie so they seem a bit more successful to me you know they're they're filmmaking too just in a you know a different way so um yeah i i think that sentiment's really beautiful because i uh i i agree that you know, people want to be artists, and I think that um, art is kind of put on a pedestal a little bit in our society, where people think that um, the artists they see were born that way, and they think, "Oh, well, I'm not an artist, so I'll never be one." And, and you know, I I'm a firm believer that I that everybody should draw because drawing is just a fun way to spend time, and it you know will show mm-hmm. you, "Hey, I, I can make something from nothing," you know, even if it's a little wonky mm-hmm. looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I was actually, I, I only listened to one episode of your podcast and it was the one about your mother's passing. Oh, and well, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, 
I was really beautiful and I'm really sorry to hear about that. And as you know, my dad passed away from cancer mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, you, you said a lot of things and maybe we could go into, uh, the, yeah. our, our parents a little, but, uh, you said a lot of things about art and that, that really resonated with me. And the big one was that idea that everyone wants to create. We're just discouraged by society, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, society sounds like the joke, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it, but it, it, it's, it's no, very go, go true. Ahead, yeah. It's very true that like, you know, this idea of there's creative people and people go, I, I'm not a creative person. I'm not an artist. It's like, have you tried? It's like, cause your, your hands, your hands can draw too, you know, your hands, you know, your voice can sing too. It doesn't have to be good right away. Like the people who are creators that like are good, like most people, I, I'm sure there's some people that just have natural talent and they're like mm-hmm. singing opera at the age of three or something, but you know, most people just practiced. And I think too many people are just so bogged down by the things they feel they need to do. And like that they, they got a, they got a job they hate and they come home and they're exhausted. And, and, uh, an, another thing you touched upon was how supportive your parents were of your art. And I, I'm very similar in that I've known I wanted to make film since I was eight and mm-hmm. no, there was never a doubt by like, my mom or my dad or even my stepdad that I should go like to film school and pursue this thing. And after film school, I was just kind of bumming around doing YouTube. I had a very lucky situation where I had an apartment to stay in so I could live off of like pennies, like just pocket change. But, uh, that I, and I'm incredibly fortunate for that. But, but I think a lot of people I see are lacking that, encouraging support system from a young age and Mm -hmm. the friends I went to film school with who graduated and stopped making stuff. There is a very consistent thing where their parents were always kind of telling them to get a practical career and kind of writing them about loans. And it's like kind of guilt tripping them about the whole experience. And I don't think that support system could be underrated and I just think it's up to us as artists to look at the people around us and offer them a new support system or offer them because it's never too late. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. And uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to that episode. It was obviously uh, the most, you know, personal one I've done so far. And mm-hmm. um, when I was watching your movie and um, you know, the details of your father came up, I, uh, you know, I, I felt very close to it and uh I, I thought we could probably have a good conversation about that topic, but you know, I also didn't really know how to broach mm. it, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, it, uh, my, my father's still around and he's a bronze sculptor and he, uh, has, um, art pieces all around Arizona where I am. And my mom was a photographer and, um, they mm. both, when I was a kid, uh, encouraged us to draw when we were bored a lot. So that was kind of where, I would just be making something from nothing all the time. And then that led to me learning Photoshop, which was sort of an extension of drawing. And I, I watched uh, a lot of TV shows, a good amount of movies. So by the time it was, you know, time to go to college and they're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I, I think make movies because everything else sounds, you know, not as, wor- <laughs> you know, just a good use of my time, honestly. 
yeah. And uh, yeah, I agree. Having that support system, I'll never know what it would be like to not have that. I can only look at my friends and, you know, listen to their stories of, you know, their parents being concerned about what they're doing. But um, I have friends where I've, you know, tried to give them the pep talk of, you know, you can be an artist even if it's not for your career. I, I have one friend where she... Um, She's had very regular desk jobs her whole life, but um, when we've hung out before, I've sort of showed her how to use uh, DaVinci Resolve color grading software, and she she took to the ideas of, you know, shadows and highlights and midtones really quickly, and, you know, she was playing around with it, and she thought, oh, this is fun, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like a video game in a different sense, you know, you're just having mm-hmm. fun on the computer, just, you know, instead of mm-hmm. having a new high score you have something that you're proud of i suppose <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah i uh um i'm not totally sure where to go from there but <laughs> um i i think what i could say is that i i did another film in 2017 called uh 31 days in marshall north carolina mm-hmm and uh have you seen that one no i've so i've 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 seen pretend that you love me i've seen the first act of island and i watched the intro to i want to be famous which is very funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right good so 31 days is my friend dylan and i who's appeared in some of the shorts over the last couple months um him and i went down to a town in north carolina that we'd never been to and we didn't know anyone there. My cousin's friend offered us a trailer to stay in. And we just spent 31 days there. And we made a movie with the strangers in the town. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like none of these people have acted. None of these people have been in films before. And everyone did a fantastic job and had so much fun. And we came back a year later and screened it at like a, a the local... Uh, country music hall like they have a little like place that there's a jam every week Mm -hmm. and we screened it there and you know the people in the movie like felt like stars you know it was so exciting (laughs) yeah and we found out that numerous people from the film went on to uh uh act in other stuff or pursue creative stuff because we planted that bug and I don't want to act like we did so you know it was all us sure I think it was in the people to begin with but I think some people need just to be shown that it's like, like what you said with your friend, it's like you can work a job and yes, it's hard to push through the exhaustion and the, you know, the, I hate my life that a lot of people feel (laughs) the general malaise. It's hard to push through that. But I think if you make yourself make something or a friend helps you make something, it makes it a lot easier to make the next thing. Mm-hmm. And then that is a, a escalation that would happen organically with most people. Yeah. If, if yeah. I, uh, yeah, I completely agree that I think that's really great that you did that with the people in that town. How, how did you go about um, getting them involved? Would you just walk up to strangers and, or knock on doors or what were you doing? We, we had a lot of methods, uh, you know, there was connections. My cousin's friend knew some people, and he, you know, he, he uh, pointed us in the right direction. But, you know, it was everywhere. Like, we, uh, went, there was a big pizza party. They have an annual <laughs> pizza party. Uh, <laughs> they have, 
this guy Paul Gerwitz who plays uh, Oz in the movie. He's great. He's got a great voice. Yeah. But um, he has an annual pizza party where he has these homemade pizza ovens in his yard, and he just like has the whole town over for pizza. It's a small town. It's like eight hundred people. But yeah. like you know, there was like a hundred. There was like a hundred people at this party. And that was the first day we got there. So we were essentially just talking to everyone. And we met a good number of the people who wound up being in the movie that day. And yeah. And from there, it was like they have it was just a really cool town. They have like artists like they have an old uh high school on an island that <laughs> was uh converted into artist studios, so a bunch of artists work out of there. So we'd go there and meet artists. There was open mics and we'd like talk to musicians. There's a lot of music in the film and we would just say like, Hey, you want to play music in the movie? And like the whole movie is the, all the soundtrack is comprised of just local musicians. And that's, um, that's incredible. That's, that's really, yeah. And there were people who were said, no, there were people, uh, mostly older people, you know, people who I think, some people, I don't want to, the, the darkest way to say it would be they're beyond saving, which is not true. But yeah. pe- people who are like 60 or so, 60 or 70 or something are like, ah, just do what I do. I don't need to do this. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, so there were people who said no, but most people were excited about the idea. You know, there were some people who couldn't make it work for schedule purposes, but we filmed the whole thing on a VHS camera too, which I, I think was a really smart choice. Cause if you bring, I mean, the black magic pocket is pretty unassuming and I don't think it would freak people out, but in the situation where if you were to start setting up lights mm-hmm. and having a big camera and having a boom operator, like a designated boom operator and you know, there would have been, a lot the the people would be a lot less themselves on camera because they would feel like oh geez i'm part of something big rather than just i'm part of like a home movie and that was the the vibe we created and i i i think if you you go if you meet people halfway like that and i love vhs so it wasn't even a sacrifice for me Mm -hmm. but um and I, it was also one of my earlier features, so I think shooting on VHS was smart because I wasn't very good at, like, sound and stuff, and that's very forgiving. VHS is forgiving because of the poor quality. Yeah. You could get away with poor sound and poor this and that. But I think if you meet people halfway who might be hesitant to create or they just haven't done it before and you, you ease them into it, that there is a very accessible way almost anyone would say yes you know yeah even the people who said no i think if they were there the day of a shoot and they saw how easy it was they probably would have been like hey let me get a line you know yeah yeah no i i completely agree i uh i i think anytime you're in public it's it's definitely the boom pole that kind of blows your cover because (laughs) you know everybody everybody has a camera of some kind so you know even if you have like a nice lens they think okay this guy's a photographer but if you have a guy walking around with headphones and all these cables and shit (laughs) that's when people start wondering if you have permits or like what what the heck is going on yeah (laughs) yeah and you know i uh you're talking about not doing any lighting earlier i i i have this 
I have a weird relationship with lighting where uh, I, you know, when I'm watching a movie that has really beautiful lighting, I, I think, ah, oh, geez, that's really elevating the shot. I should probably learn this a bit. But I, uh, so I, I own some, but for the most part, I, I really enjoy window light. And, you know, if you just have like a reflector or something and some nice light coming in through a window and you just make sure you shoot at the right time of day, you can get away with not doing too much. But um, anytime I'm doing, uh, like green screen work that's when i typically set up some lights just to make sure that i can you know key it out properly and uh, sometimes uh, i'll be getting set up early so i'll go be my own stand-in and i feel just the heat of the lights hitting me in the face and i i realize like oh man i'm asking all these other people to do this <laughs> and you know for me it's uncomfortable for just a minute and it just reminds me that you know I, a lot of my time is spent, you know, having other people in front of a camera do what I tell them to do. And then, you know, it, uh, well, well, you, you, you're more used to it because you're your own, you know, actor and just about everything you make. So that's a little bit different, mm -hmm. but. And I think that's another really powerful tool to get people comfortable, you know, being on camera with them, mm -hmm. you know, being like, I'm doing this too. And I often like playing the, you know, I don't know the word, uh, I like playing the jerk or the guy who's a bit over the top because yeah. then then they don't feel the pressure to command the screen. You know, they yeah. don't because you're already doing it. So then they're just like, OK, I'm reacting to this. You know, yeah. I react. And that it also helps that it's improv and a lot like my stuff is so loose, like the people involved can say whatever they want and we'll run with it. But <laughs> yeah, but. I get what you're saying about the lights, and I think it's good you have, even if you still make them go through with it, it's good you have that hesitation, like, I'm making these people do this, mm -hmm. right? B because, you know, through film school, I was on numerous sets that were miserable. It was... <laughs> yeah, 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 it, it yeah. Was, <laughs> it was literally 14, 18-hour days. You know, you show up in the morning and you leave at 4 a.m. or something, and you're like... They got, like, two scenes done. What was happening that whole time? <laughs> and they have way too many people. They have, like, ten crew members, and most of them are only working, like, one-tenth of the time and uh -huh. otherwise. And it's just... There, there's, there's fun to be had on a set regardless because you're creating something. You know, at the end of the day, it's a bit more miserable if you're, like, a PA and you don't know the people. And, you know, because I've done a few freelance PA like gigs and i'm like i never want to be on a set again <laughs> yeah. yeah but i uh i have uh, sorry no go ahead i i was just gonna say it's good you have that hesitation because i think if they didn't get it from those experiences there was a lot of people from film school that seemed almost oblivious to how they were wasting people's time yeah. you know yeah, completely. I there th I, there was one instance where I was on a film set that was pretty disorganized, and it, it honestly started to give me a bit of an anxiety attack because I was just thinking like, ah, fuck, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and this is going on a really long time, and I don't know what's happening. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think being considerate of, be of people's time and making it um, be, you know, ideally an enjoyable experience that's really important. I um I I I tend to be. Uh, or at least I aim to be empathetic towards others. And I think sometimes that could, the double-edged sword is I can like over worry a little bit. And then I'm thinking, mm -hmm. how can I simplify this as much as humanly possible? How can I make this person not even have to be 
that involved in this so I can get them out of here. And as some, something I realize is that if somebody's agreeing to be a part of your project, whether or not they're a performer or somebody doing some sort of crew work, you know, they, they're probably there because they want to be and that, it, you know, it feels good to be a part of something. So I've started to try to trust the people I'm collaborating with a little bit more to be okay, you know, to go along with whatever the plan is, you know, and not get too worried. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. pretty much every time, you know, I say to somebody, oh, are the lights too hot? Do you need a break? They're usually like, oh, no, I'm good. Let's let's power through. Um, what, one thing I'll say is I, I have a lot of friends from film school who, you know, now that they've graduated, they are going a little bit more the traditional route and they're doing, you know, very big sets with a lot of big setups. And um, that being said, they're the stuff they're making is at a very high quality. So I don't think it's, you know, diminishing returns or a lost cause, but sometimes I struggle with asking them to help me because I think maybe they now have a higher bar for what a set is, you know, and I've, like I said, I've been doing things a little bit loose and with, you know, less setups and stuff. And then I think like, is there even a justifiable reason to have them here if I can do this all myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And once again, yeah, it, it is a struggle. You don't want to go too far either way. You don't want to give yourself a panic attack worrying, but there is a consideration to be had. And I, I think like those horrible sets were often, in my case, just because they overplanned. You know, they got every light from the film department and they spent literally four hours setting it up. And what you were saying about window light and natural light I think it's less about like you see a movie with beautiful lighting and you're like, yes, of course, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I think it's less about like a window light and available light isn't as beautiful. It's more about being able to recontextualize our ideas of beauty and and being able to take a step back and be like, maybe imperfection is beautiful too you know not there's i never want to say the other thing is wrong Mm -hmm. but i think often people on the other thing say our thing is wrong or you know that you know and and maybe that's anxiety from myself talking and it's not quite that case but no i think i think describing it as recontextualizing what's beautiful is like a really powerful statement because um you know, like like film grain, for instance, or lens flares are technically imperfections, you know, and maybe like I know Roger Deakins is a purist and he doesn't want any of that shit because he says he wants it to look as real life as possible. But it's a lot of effort you got to go to to do that, you know, so I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've made some videos before where it's a it's a mix between black magic footage, which looks very clean and, you know, iPhone clips coming in as well, you know, and. Those are two very different looking things, but uh, I think, uh, like you said, like phones, well, phones are a part of our life. It's a very specific way of viewing things, so I think incorporating that in modern art is important, and I think imperfections usually get very romanticized with age, you know? When VHSs were going on, it was, you know, the highest standard, and now people have some nostalgia around, you know, the way VHS... uh, looks you know so similar i think like okay well these iphones are gonna get old so maybe one day people will be romantic about you know the noise the digital noise from iphone footage which right now sounds a little bit silly but i I can totally see that happening well i think you're absolutely right because there was a lot of people in film school that 
you know, were obsessed with like shooting on film and, you know, creating period pieces, which is like an insanely ambitious thing. And most of them couldn't really pull it off. Yeah. But, but there was this like obsession with the old and I'm like, you realize you love that old thing because the people back in the day were creating with their modern technology. You know, those people were creating something honest and true to their times using the available technology. And it's like you love it because of the honesty. Of course, you can love the aesthetic, too. But like you're saying, it's like speak to your times a little and use an iPhone, use a, you know, use a minimal, uh, you know, a camera, mini DV or something, uh, because that's going to age the same way. And Lord knows there's going to be film students in 2030 or something or 2040, uh, like buying like old iPhone sevens to get the aesthetic, you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and then like having to use proprietary like systems to like use the files. They're like, <laughs> oh, we, yeah, we got to use yeah. the, you know, it's going to happen. And I think speaking to your times and yourself and how you live is so important in any art form. And I think the desire to emulate is a great kicking off point, but you have to, most people don't take the moment to be like, what, why do I like this thing I'm emulating? You know, is it just the pretty colors or is there something deeper? You know? Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I just got an iPhone 12 this last week. And prior to that, <laughs> I had an iPhone six for about like six years. I, uh, I didn't get a, I didn't get a smartphone till I was 20. I got the six and, um, I, it's worked pretty much completely fine my friends would disagree because i'm always like having to delete shit to take new videos because i'm always <laughs> running out of space but uh like for the most part it, it was never that bogged down and it still has a headphone jack which t to me i'm so mad at apple for getting rid of headphone jacks i think that's i know i think it's ludicrous i think that apple's game with proprietary technology and trying to force the needle to what they want you know like wireless headphones is just maddening and when when yeah. I when I was at the Verizon store, the guy, uh, the guy said, "Hey man, I gotta ask why, why did this take you so long? Like, why do you have this?" <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, "Like, you know, this is like one of the most incredible pieces of technology of all time, and it's it was brand new like six years ago. I think we should be." <laughs> designing things to you know last a little bit i don't like the idea that the one you're selling me right now is going to be in the ocean next year like that's that's insane yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it's funny i'm the exact same way i had the success for five years yeah and then and then i bought the i just got the 11 pro yeah which doesn't have the headphone jack which i realized <laughs> after i'm like oh man i can't believe it yeah but um i, I was the same way i was like i've always wondered like when when I got like I had like the three GS first and I was like in high school yeah and like when I got the three GS it worked perfect like it was super fast it went through the internet lightning speed and I'm like from phone to phone the initial experience isn't that much different they mm -hmm. just are designed to degrade you know everyone like, I think they even proved that like updates when the new one comes out actually like make the phone slower yeah but. I was just like, 
I was like, we haven't progressed that far. I feel like a 3GS, a brand new 3GS nowadays would still feel good, you know? Yeah. Well, I think I think iPhones come out like shoe sizes where there's like all these like in-between steps, you know? Like there's a, there's a 12 mini, a 12, a 12 Pro, and a 12 Pro Max, which is basically a Pro Pro. And fucking, <laughs> it's, it's, I just... You know, and like they're still selling the 11 simultaneously. They're saying, oh, but the 11's good too. So, <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure like Steve Jobs, I think it was maybe confirmed that he would withhold technology to delay the rollouts. Like, I remember the iPod, they put a video camera in the iPod Nano when it was all long. And I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they had the capabilities of doing mm-hmm. that for a long time before they released it. <laughs> Yeah, I always wonder that too. I'm like, even with stuff like graphics cards and a computer, I'm like, are they really just discovering like how to create these like small increments to like, finally, we figured out how to do a little more power. Finally, we did it again. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they can't just release like a beefy card from like 2025 today yeah i don't see how they don't understand how to get there ahead of time you it, know? it really makes me laugh picturing like this eureka moment in the lab where they're yeah <laughs> you know nvidia they're all like making the the 3090s and there's some guy in the corner like tinkering with the circuit board and he's like oh my god <laughs> this is we have the we have the 3100 everybody <laughs> we have it. like what what did you do what was the equation <laughs> He's like, I, yeah. pl- I plugged in the red one. Yeah. <laughs> it, it works now. It's getting 20 the the power drive megahertz or whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I do not know what's happening with these engineers where suddenly technology is just better and more expensive. It's very confusing to me. <laughs> They're like, by God, we did it. iPhone 13. <laughs> oh, my- <laughs> I love that. It's like, you know, they're they're trying to... <laughs> It's like uh, fucking uh, the guy who made the atomic bomb, but they're just like giving us marginal <laughs> consumer differences. <laughs> um, I feel like twelve is the last one you can number. I think everything after twelve just sounds absurd. You yeah, know, like yeah, thirteen iPhone fourteen. Like it yeah. sounds horrible. Like I think once you hit the teens, you almost went too far. Well, I, th- I think Xbox figured that out because they went from Xbox 360 to the Xbox One, and now I think it's Xbox Series X, which is fucking yeah. absurd. <laughs> yeah. Their naming is horrible. That, yeah. that, that's why I love that Nintendo just invents a word every time they make something. Like, this is the, yeah. this is the GameCube. This is the, the Wii. Like, they're just throwing shit out there, you know? <laughs> At least you could tell it's a new thing, except for the Wii U. The Wii U, you couldn't tell. That's the worst. That was like the worst marketing of all time. And the Wii U got, it's such a good console in my opinion. Like it had yeah. Mario Kart 8 and a whole new Smash Brothers and there's a whole generation Nintendo of people. Nintendo Land. I love Nintendo Land. That was fun. Was that the one where you play as the Miis and it's kind of like Mario yeah. Party? Yeah, there was a bunch of mini games, and there was the one where you chased the Mario, and the person with the gamepad could see all of you, but you couldn't see him. And yeah. They had some fun ideas. Yeah. What what a tangent we've gotten on. Oh no, I mean that's that's to- like I said. Yeah, I just wanted to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. with you. That's a, that's yeah. totally okay. I grew I grew up only with Nintendo consoles. We we had a PlayStation One, but only for playing Spyro, which is essentially a Nintendo game. <laughs> yeah. I I had a I didn't have a the 
first uh, Xbox, but I, I had pretty much everything because me and my brother would share and and uh, but it was mainly PlayStation and Nintendo stuff mm-hmm. we would play. I yeah. I got a I got a PlayStation Four two Black Fridays ago, and it came with like God of War and uh the last of us and some other really big game all for free and i was just like man buy it and you know everybody i knew was saying they're gonna announce the playstation 5 next year you don't want to wait and i'm like dude this shit is like half off plus three amazing games and like i there's so many it just goes back to the technology not getting that outdated thing there's so many amazing i'm like this is fine i don't and that and now nobody can even buy a playstation 5 it's like impossible I know. <laughs> I, I I think that's so funny that like we're so quick to like dismiss the things of like yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, when when there there's this weird gap where it's like it's like present day, not interesting, not interesting, nostalgia. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we love it. You know, there's like there's like ten year maybe gap or maybe it's not even that long. I feel like we get nostalgic quick now it's it's shorter and shorter i'm starting to wonder when people will get nostalgic around cd collections every now yeah. every now and again i see that but like in general it's just a disc drive with mp3 files on it you know and the packaging yeah. usually isn't that interesting but i uh, i mean people get nostalgic over vhs and that's like the worst <laughs> That's like the worst form to consume a movie in. <laughs> I uh, my my dad literally uh, a weekend ago had to be take the box of VHSs because he's trying to clean out right now. And uh, I have Bionicles the movie, <laughs> nice. and I really want to go to like a data place where they can like convert it to digital because I just want to have that forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I no go ahead. Yeah, I think we grew up. I, I, how old are your late 20s? I was born in 96. I'm 24. Oh, yeah, not 96. I'm 25. Okay, yeah. yeah. A lot of people think I'm older. I'm not sure if you've seen the YouTube comments. <laughs> people, I get the gray hair. I'm, like, gray just naturally. My, my older yeah. brother's the same way. I have a, I have a little yeah. bit coming in, so I might I might yeah. be there soon. <laughs> but people in my comments are like, is he, like, 30 or 40? I'm like, no, I'm 25. <laughs> but we grew up in such an interesting time because we caught the tail end of, like the 90s you know we caught the tail end of like you know landline phones and like dial up internet and vhs like we experienced all those things enough to like say we like enough to know what they are Mm -hmm. and then we just moved on yeah like everything else came out like oh good internet and good ways to watch movies yeah. you know no i i yeah. try to be easy to impress honestly because i think it's so easy to be like oh fuck my 5g isn't working or whatever the heck it is and i'm like yeah, this is amazing you know i <laughs> i i think uh i think his i've said this a lot i think historically speaking our generation is going to be like one of the more interesting ones because i think the uh uh, thus far, the first half of our life was um, pretty technologically um, uh, withheld isn't the right word, but, you know, there wasn't as impressive stuff going on. You know, you had a Game Boy Color that you had to, if it was nighttime, you couldn't play it because it didn't even yeah. have a backlight, you know, <laughs> and now we have like flat screen TVs in our pocket all the time. So the, you know, the curve is crazy. And I always think about how um, anyone our age who has uh, kids 
their grand their their grandkids are gonna be like, oh, my grandparents were born in the 1900s and they didn't and they had dial up internet and fax machines and VHSs. Like we're gonna seem yeah. so like we're gonna seem like boomers, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so weird to think about how you're inevitably gonna become the out of date people, you know? And, and uh, that was another thing i really latched onto that you said about your mom is that you said she didn't choose to become that curmudgeon or she didn't choose to become that oh i don't understand that that's for the kids you know yeah and i think it's important that was interesting to hear because i never considered that because that is a choice you mm-hmm. know it, it it is a choice to just like l- let yourself get lost to the times yeah and just latch on to the past and not because like there, there's a lot of those people in our parents' generation and grandparents especially that don't even try. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like you hand them a computer. They're like, "How does this work?" It's like we didn't have a tutorial. We just started clicking around and we figured, you know, yeah. I, I, I can't pinpoint the time when I like knew how to like open up the internet or do this or that. And obviously, if you're young and you grow up with it, there's there's a much more logical learning curve. Yeah. But but I think that it is a choice, and it was a really beautiful thing you said because I think it, when you were talking about, like, the music she listens to and how, how uh, you know, how she was always involved with, like, the things that you were involved with. Yeah. And, and, and not in a way that was, like, humoring you, but in a way that she was actually yeah. compelled by them. And my dad was similar. He was my best friend and he wasn't, he didn't understand technology. He, he wouldn't listen to rap music or anything like that, Yeah. but he, he did allow his humor and stuff like that to stay, you know, present, you know, he, he was always on the cutting edge of like, you know, how people talked and, you know, and ready to associate with anyone and meet them at their you know, meet them at their whatever. I, I don't want to say level because I don't think it's above or below. It's yeah, yeah. Just linear. But he, he he was somebody who did not let himself become that old man. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I have yeah. a I have a really distinct memory of uh, senior year of high school driving to school, and the last thing my dad said to me before I got out of the car in 2013, he said, "You know, I think." my favorite song on Jesus is I am a God. <laughs> and I was just like, me too, dad, me too. Have a good day. <laughs> I, uh, my, my dad, uh, he, he's a little bit less of a technology guy. He, he's not a big fan of it just because it's a little bit, uh, you know, confusing. And you, like you said, you have to put in a direct effort to understand it, you know? Uh, but that being said, as far as art goes, I think he's, you know, pretty hip with music, but he, he was always the sort of guy who he, um, uh, he, he's really into like, you know, the old like black and white, like King Kong movies with the puppets. And he really likes three stooges. So I think I got a good dose of like old, like, uh, respecting like kind of old, like cruder, grungier things, as well as being able to progress forward with my parents. Um, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really beautiful to hear, you know, the sort of relationship you had with your father. I know he was involved in a number of your films and, um, I watched, I watched the one where, it was uh 
I, I think it's titled something along the lines of when you from your future self, self visits you and it's him in the park. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So good. And it, it seems like he was just totally willing to, you know, go forward with whatever the, the joke premise was and really just commit. Yeah. And half the time he'd come up with it, you know, that was really the, the joy of it that we were always, uh, you know, collaborators. And I, I try to treat everyone like a collaborator rather than someone who is helping me with my thing. And I think that's important. But him more than anyone else, he was always saying it was like our channel. And he he's like, subscribe to our YouTube. And he was, <laughs> he, he was like awesome. And, you know, he, he was willing to just go with anything. And uh, the, there's a funny thing because he's such a funny guy. And su- he was such an outgoing guy. And... But I once again relate it back to I think anybody can be under the right circumstances because he also you can't tell from the films, but he was he would stumble every four out of every five takes. He would mess (laughs) up the words. and You know, he he would he'd say the wrong thing. I don't have scripts, but I mean, just like getting the words out. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 like you don't notice that in the film. And I think if you just show people that like we're all like editing ourselves every day, you know, and the, the most talented artist you see online is putting forth their best moments and their best, you know, and I try to not be quite so censored. I try to put some of my more like vulnerable and I try to be imperfect. As I said, I try to, you know, not worry. Like there's some scenes in pretend that you love me where the audio got uh, messed up. And I, mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, it's a real scene that happened or it's a, it it's like, I didn't do, Nothing in Pretend That You Love Me had two takes. Everything was just whatever happened the first take. Yeah. And and I'm like, I, I can't go back and change that because that's betraying that truth of the project. And so it's like if you could push past that, like, uh-oh, the audio's bad. I got to dub the whole thing. Or, uh-oh, the, you know, the focus was off. Got to reshoot the whole thing. And it's like instead just look past that and be like, is the emotion of what I captured good? Mm-hmm. Then let's run with it. And I guess relating it back to my dad, it's that at the end of the day, they were always just films about that. There was, there were specific concepts, but at the end of the day, there is this feeling, Oh, it's just a dad and his son goofing around, yeah. you know, and, and don't do anything to be- betray that underlying feeling, you yeah. know, and and more times than not you know it was just him and i just grabbing a camera and making it up and that's how it's been with everyone and i think that's why i try to i have a lot of things i do to like you know keep it loose but the one thing i like is i love leaving outtakes in the edit like not even putting <laughs> yeah. them at the end yeah yeah because because you're you're not like i'm not trying to sell you on a world in my shorts you know i'm not trying to convince you of some beautiful filmic reality mm-hmm. I, I've, I've tried to there's a there's a fine line between there is some realness to what is presented and there's some realness to how it was made yeah and there's an intersection there and that's people having a good time and creating and speaking to something honestly or in a funny way. Yeah. I, uh, I'm glad you brought up the keeping the outtakes in the video. Um, 
really quick. I just want to say this regarding the last topic. I, in terms of, you know, letting yourself get old and being a curmudgeon, I just, I always think about, um, there's this scene in uh, Judd Apatow's movie, This Is 40, where uh, Paul Rudd's character is like a record label guy trying to sign artists, and he's like supposed to be the guy who let himself, you know, uh, be behind the times, and one of his employees is yelling at him, and he's like, you turned down Arcade Fire, and he said, there's 40 of them! I didn't know that people would like this sort of thing. <laughs> and I, I, remember, I remember Judd Apatow just, he, he was saying, yeah, it's a conscious choice. He said, there's a lot of guys who just decide at a certain age, okay, I've heard all the music I like, and the, the new music isn't music anymore. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a conscious decision. So, I yeah, I, I think about that a lot. I try to be open-minded to things. Um, with you and your uh, movies outtakes, I think I was most cognizant of it when I was watching um, a smash and bash job done wrong, where you were you were you were making the improvising the movie uh, rather than watching the Oscars. And um, so you were saying you 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 know your movies aren't really trying to sell you on like a world per se. I I think for me as an audience members, it it has this effect on me where I feel like I'm an audience to two simultaneous um, simulated worlds where like, so if I'm watching a movie like Island, for instance, and you are, you know, using very uh, DIY tactics to sell me on the idea that, you know, you're on this deserted Island. I, I think that your commitment to the concept is so strong that my brain kind of starts to play pretend like I'm a kid where I'm just, I'm completely ignoring the fact that it's done very DIY and I'm, I'm, I'm taking it for what it is. I'm taking what you're selling me and I'm saying, okay, this guy's on an Island right now. And I, I present that as real. So with uh, a smash and bash uh, gone wrong, I'm to- I'm <laughs> totally taking it seriously. I'm totally thinking, okay, there was a crime committed. This, you know, this guy's calling up his employees, but the parts where it weaves in and out and, you know, your your friends start cracking up and laughing and it kind of breaks for a second, then the other part of my audience brain it feels like I'm watching a group of friends have fun and a group of people, you know, create something. And I'm able to kind of have those two viewership experiences at the same time where I'm kind of weaving out of, like, realities, I guess is a way to say it. And um, I think it creates a very happy kind of ex- viewing experience where it just kind of makes me smile and it reminds me of, you know, yeah, like when you're a kid and people are just, you know, playing pretend or even maybe without a camera, you know, and you're just kind of committing to a bit or like a game, uh, the, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, uh, but, but then, you know, once you guys get back to, to business and you're, you know, you, you re-enter the scene, I'm back in it because the drama is so high, I, you know, I got to be committed <laughs> to what's going on in the story as well, besides, you know, just watching you guys make it. Yeah, I, I, I'm so happy with that because it's, it was this insane idea. Because every year I've done like an Oscars stream, like instead mm-hmm. of watching the Oscars so-and-so, I've done the, it, it for four years now. Yeah. And uh, this one was the crazy one. I'm like, I have an audience now, so what can I do with them? And I'm like, let's make a movie with them, you know? And yeah. everyone who calls in is just random people from my YouTube audience. Okay. So, uh, and... Uh, <laughs> I don't, and maybe that's even a, a greater testament to people's want to create and be a part of something because these people, like, on a Sunday night, they just called into this thing and were just thrown into scenes. You know, I gave them, like, a quick setup. Like, mm-hmm. the whole making of stream is live, so you can watch the whole movie get made in three and a half hours or something. Yeah, yeah. But, but th- that was the... 
you know, I, I've always wanted to shoot a feature in a day and then like doing it in like three and a half hours is hilarious. And <laughs> yeah. like doing it, doing this like insanely over the top, stupid police procedural with random people acting as characters on screens is like such a funny thing to set against the Oscars. Because yeah. the Oscars, the Oscars takes themselves so seriously. It's like, everything there is like trying to be the perfect version of itself mm -hmm. and and then you have this thing that is just this messy hilarious weird like you said dual experience where it's trying to it, it's trying to tell a story but it, at times failing because <laughs> it, like we are in disbelief of where the story's going you know yeah yeah i uh just yeah. I, I try to laugh away from the microphone because i tend to completely ruin the audio but <laughs> uh, it's all really funny i uh um yeah i was i noticed that you did all the other um you know doing this instead of watching the oscars i thought the one where you were just calling people you love and telling them you love them is really beautiful um i i get i get a, i get a sense of just very uh, of genuine sincerity from you which i think uh the world needs a lot more of um i was wondering did you start i think i know the answer but d did you start the series just kind of almost in a little bit of protest of like an award show or like it taking itself too seriously like what where does your disdain for the oscars come from <laughs> <laughs> that that's a loaded question because the first one was actually part of i'm going to be famous okay yeah. The, instead of watching the Oscars, watch me take a bubble bath. It was part of the performance art okay. plot line in that. And um, I I, uh, I don't know. I, I think my friend Max and my friend Calvin and I have handled them. I think it was Max and me at first. And then, no, yeah, then Max and Calvin. And, and throughout those uh, four years. So I think the first one, Oscar. Instead of watching the Oscars, watch me take a bubble bath. We didn't have a point, but looking back on it, I guess the point was that the Oscars are just as much wa worth watching as a guy taking a bubble bath. Sure. Which is kind of surface level. And then we kind of repeated ourselves. It was instead of watching the Oscars, watch me eat two uh, Domino's pizzas or something. <laughs> and that, that one was that one was very abstract and weird, but it really amounted to the same point. Yeah that like oscar's dumb this dumb you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and then finally the third year i had that phone call on instead of watching the oscars uh watch me uh call people i love and tell them i love them and that was when i had this moment like okay we can't just say the oscar's dumb every year you know yeah we we, we have to have and then that was there that idea and I have one regret with that, and I, it's partially, you know, because I had a friend get upset that their voice was on on it. Okay. But uh, I tried to prompt most people, but some people, a conversation just happened organically. Mm -hmm. But I wish you couldn't hear the voices, because the real point of that stream wasn't watch me call people. It was here's something you could do productive in your life right now instead of the Oscars. Mm -hmm. You know, that was everyone has dozens of people in their lives many of which they might have not talked to for months or years that they can easily call right now and just say something nice to you know yeah and, and how much that can mean for someone you don't know how hard of a time somebody's having and 
I only wish I left the audio of their end of the call off just so it was less about listening to these calls and more about just the act itself. And, and then this year was obviously just uh, yeah. the absurdity of making an entire movie during a night when a bunch of rich people are celebrating movies. Yeah. Is, is, no, that, and is to, no, sorry. And that yeah. was to, that was just to show you can make a movie, you know, you can yeah. make a movie, you know, yeah. right now in three hours and who cares what it is. It's a movie. Cause it's 40 minutes. That's the Oscars, uh, uh, official, uh, length for feature length. It's yeah. 40 plus minutes. So it's just, yeah, that, no, I think that's a great evolution from saying, you know, Oscars dumb to, you know, here's, you know, a beautiful thing you could do instead of Oscars dumb. And then, you know, why don't we be creative in, in lieu of this Oscar season? I, you know, last year I was thinking the Oscars would be really weird because, you know, way less stuff came out in 2020 just because, you know, theaters weren't open so much. And I was thinking like, Oh, is Margot Robbie going to get nominated for being Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey? <laughs> like, you know, what's, what's the, what's the bar going to be this year? And, um, something, uh, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but the, the movie that, uh, won best picture, uh, Nomad Land, um, th- mm-hmm. have you seen that or looked into no. it too much? I've heard opinions from both sides people who love it and people who have reservations about it i i think it was made very similarly to how your north carolina movie was made because uh the the director chloe zhao she kind of largely does not script things and she uses everyday people that she comes across in her travels Mm -hmm. so uh, I went and saw it, and it was the first time I've ever seen a movie in a theater where I was the only person in the room, which was, uh, and it was a really, it was a good movie to do that because it's kind of, so like the lead, the lead actress, Frances McDormand, you know, she's pretty much the one famous person in there. And I think she mm-hmm. blends in as a civilian, <laughs> for lack of better words, you know, really well. And it's, you know. Uh, a very isolating movie because basically she's um, she's a nomad. She's living out of a van, you know, going across the country, and that's just how she lives. But um, mm. you know, from stop to stop, she comes across uh, really just you know. I don't even know if I want to say interesting. It's not that they're not, but you know, they're just ordinary people. You know, there's not um, anything. You know, they're just people. And uh, through that, you know, there's a lot of really nice uh, conversations and relationships developed. And um, from what I read, the the director kind of tries to not script things, very loosely uh, create scene setups and, you know, just use people who are around. And um, I, I it just makes me so happy that a movie like that is getting celebrated in that way and that it won best picture mm-hmm. because I, I try not to put too much stock into like the awards themselves, but I'm aware that there is sort of this cultural like legitimacy that happens where legacy media, whether or not it's the news or whatever it is, you know, they, it's kind of like they're putting their stamp of approval on what, you know, people are supposed to like or what is art you know so i I, it makes me happy that something made so loosely got you know the the highest acclaim you know so yeah yeah Uh, to me it's a double-edged sword because there was a similar sentiment around parasite winning you know it was like thank god a foreign film took home best picture and i think the oscars doing that almost sent the wrong message and maybe it, it's a signals to a change in how they'll handle things, though I don't think that was the case this year. But, 
you know, they've always kept foreign films separate mm-hmm. in a separate category. And and then suddenly they're allowed to win Best Picture. Yeah. And then it be- it becomes like, I think the message it sends is like, finally they made a foreign film worth watching. You know? <laughs> like mm. that's, or, or they finally made a foreign film that's better or can compete with American Interesting. Like, movies. And I don't think that was their intention. They weren't out to do that. But I think that's what less... Uh, inquisitive or less curious audiences would take away from that like let's watch parasite and oh that was the best i love that but i don't think many people would take the next step to explore foreign film sure because i think a lot of the best movies ever are foreign films and you you just i i'd love if it was a step forward to the Oscars, just getting rid of the foreign category and just looking at world cinema as a whole, as what came out. Mm-hmm. Cause it's such, it's such a strange system that it's like each country gets to support, uh, you know, send in one movie or something yeah. to be nominated. Yeah. And it's just like, what if like Japan made like five of the best movies one year, or, yeah. you know, and it only one is represented. I think that happened one year with like, I think it was Shoplifters. Yeah, and I love else. that movie. I think it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, that came out, and there was something else from the same country that just like was also gr- oh Burning. I haven't seen. Burning. Oh, I've I, I've heard they, it. I've heard it's great. What, was that the same country? I don't want to mix it up, but I, I think that might have been the d- double one year where okay. like they people felt like they both should have been nominated, and they weren't. Sure. Yeah. I um. I I. I completely get what you're saying. I'll admit, I actually have not heard that sentiment before where people are saying, oh, a foreign country finally made a movie worth watching. Um, I, I, I understand where that uh, worry comes from, though, for sure. I, I'll i say, for, for me, I, I felt really... Um, optimistic isn't the right word, but it, it, it made me it made me really happy with what happened with Parasite, just in the sense that... Most of the people I knew who were going to go see it saw it before the Oscars. And I, mm. so, and, and I think the reason I saw a big influx of people rushing to go see that movie is because um, the, the plot of that movie is really, it takes unexpected twists and turns, and the name doesn't even really tell you what it's about. It's almost even kind of a mislead. And, for me, at least, when I saw Parasite, I, I was really blown away. And the so when and anytime I see some art I really like, I try to tell people you, you got to go look at this. And wh- when I was telling people to watch Parasite, I was telling them, uh, "Trust me, it's really good." And it, I can't tell you anything of what it's about because it would kind of defeat the entire purpose of seeing it. And I think that it in this day and age when people are a little bit more suspicious of how they want to spend their time and whether or not they want to trust the opinions of others, I, I thought it was really encouraging to see a lot of people coming away with the same experience where I would talk to people and they say, I had no idea what I was getting myself into and I, I had such a great time watching it. So uh, in a way, I, I had a bit of an encouraging uh, view on that season just because the movie the specific movie at hand whether or not it was korean i just saw a lot of people being kind of surprised with what they were watching i uh, mm-hmm. i i saw it a second time in theaters with a friend and he, he hadn't seen it yet and when one of the twists was happening he kind of grabbed my arm and he's like what's going on <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh 
But I, yeah, I, I actually was not aware that countries are only allowed to send in one film. That's that sounds really ludicrous, you know, because like you're <laughs> saying, like one film that means you got to pick one genre. Also, you know, what if you yeah. know what if what if Korea made the best comedy of the year, but they have this drama, so the comedy gets, you know, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I wasn't, I guess it's obvious. I wasn't being that literal that people are literally saying that, mm-hmm. but, and I think if you run in, like, uh, if a lot of your friends are filmmakers or even if you're a filmmaker and you've shown your friends a lot of stuff over the years, mm-hmm. they might be more inclined to, uh, explore further, but I'm just, I just wasn't seeing that around parasite people taking that next step. Cause I wasn't somebody who was as enamored with Parasite as most. I thought it was an incredibly solid, good time. Mm-hmm. I was never bored. But I wasn't, like, stoked to watch it again. And I, I, to me, there's just so many great foreign films mm-hmm. that have not even, like, inaccessible, not, like, dreary Bergman, you know, not, like... I'm talking, like, like just, like, totally balls-to-the-walls fun accessible foreign films that wouldn't get the same uh, patience from as many people as Parasite because there isn't this mainstream appeal and mainstream success behind sure. it. And, and I guess that Parasite winning does not affect or change that. It just felt, it signaled to that problem for me in a way that annoyed me that I don't think many people would like take your suggestion uh, to go see a movie if it wasn't currently doing really well in theaters and currently, you know, having a lot of hype online about it, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, that that makes complete sense. And I I actually have a friend, uh, Christian, who's a a really amazing filmmaker, and he... uh, um, and I think he kind of follows some of the same principles we've talked about today. Like he, he uses a digital Bolex camera, which is a really weirdly specific camera. It, it, it only mm. shoots up to 1080p, but he's like, I don't really fucking care if this is 4K. I like how this camera looks, you know. And um, he last year he watched one to three films every day. So he, he watched like 530 movies last year. And I, I remember mm. talking to him about Parasite and he was he was saying something similar where he, he liked it, but he wasn't really, you know, rating or ranking it tremendously high because he thought that there was a little bit of a, like, I don't know if I want to say fetishization, but he was saying just, you know, foreign films are incredible and this is by no means the most amazing one he had seen. So he was saying, mm-hmm. you know, I liked it, but I don't, I don't know if I want to say it's five out of five stars because to him he had seen so many other impressive things that nobody you know has even heard about um Mm -hmm. i i really like seeing what um the action movies coming out of bollywood and india are Mm. because some of the some of the stunts and the effects like make the stuff that we do over here look so uninspired like they're doing the most insane things that you know executives over here would be like what do you mean you want to make a human wrecking ball out of 80 guys who are all clones of each other with machine guns coming out of their mouth (laughs) i know it's so you see something like that and then you look at like how grounded most like superhero movies try to be like even marvel movies which take themselves less seriously still try to be pretty grounded visually, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and 
you just see something like that and you're like, why are they not having fun with this stuff? You right. Know? And, and there's some scattered examples. Like I think the guardians of the galaxy movies have some fun shots and they're probably the most expressive of any Marvel movie. Yeah. And, um, I, I think th- there's just this d- bewilderment for me looking at like, you had like how many million dollars and you did this like also this is just totally my own thing but i find it so ridiculous that we've all agreed a million dollars is a logical amount to spend on a movie we're like we're like yeah more money than anyone will ever have in their life yeah Yeah. that makes sense that makes sense to make a piece of art yeah well those are those are like a hundred million dollars i know they're a hundred what one million dollars like i remember in film school you know a teacher would say this movie looks extremely cheap it was probably only a million bucks yeah (laughs) people who are like yeah this wow that was only a million bucks it looks great it's like what do you mean only you've never seen a million bucks in your life and you're never gonna see a million bucks it's like it's like any amount and that's why like my movie like pretend that you love me cost me zero dollars and and that to me is just like i'm like yes it's not it doesn't have this lighting it doesn't have this this i the sheen of professionalism and Mm -hmm. polish but it's just like, you know, you don't go into that movie like, God, how much did this cost? You know, you don't go, uh, you, cost isn't even in the equation. And it's just so uninteresting to me and so discouraging to me to be like, oh, yeah, 100000 that's a small budget. Yeah. Like, even that is ridiculous. And that is a small budget to most people. Like, $100,000. When are you ever going to have that free to spend on a movie? I, I remember in film school back in, like, 2014, which, for, for me at least, that's one of my favorite years of the decade for movies that came out. I, I remember my, my teacher said, you know, I just went and saw Whiplash, and I thought it was really good. I thought it was a really good uh testament to you know making a good story cheaply he said you know when i was watching whiplash i thought i thought you could probably make this for seventy thousand dollars you know and that's that's you know dirt cheap and (laughs) yeah yeah 70 grand you know that's like two year salary for a lot of people you know for some people five year salary and you know it's in the context of movies that is considered you know one of the cheapest things you can do but he does have a good point because whiplash i i I assume cost a couple million maybe I can look it up, honestly, but... But he does have a good point. A lot of that movie is very contained and insular, you know? Yeah. There's the the only things that would... And and even then, you could know somebody who has an auditorium or something. You could shoot it so you don't need an actual audience. Yeah. But but it's like a lot of that is just conversations, just this and that in a band room and in a home. And there is a $0 version of Whiplash out there. It might have to cut some scenes or have stuff occur off camera, but, and it's just so funny to me that like, there might be people who I might've just actually listened to a podcast where they talked about whiplash and they went, wow, that was only so-and-so. And Mm -hmm. I was like, only, I was like, I just think we've like blown film to such an impossible expensive high yeah. and it, it needs to be brought back down and i think youtube is the strongest force to bring it back down 
What, what, one of my favorite examples is uh, N- Napoleon Dynamite's budget was $400,000 and it box officed uh, $46 million. So like the ratio, and again, 400 grand, like that's a lot of money. But, you know, the ratio of, you know, making a movie for less than half a million and then making, you know, 46 back, that's, you know, and that, that movie is so simple. The $0 version of Napoleon Dynamite could exist, uh, you know, as well for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I want to, I want to switch gears here just because I want to be uh, mindful of your time. And there's one thing, uh, I feel like I, I have to talk to you about, which is, you know, all the animation that you do, um, oh, yeah. you know, l- last week you, you told me that, uh, you were animating for 14 hours straight one day. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> for, uh, which, which I, I completely anticipated because animation is so much more complicated that, you know, most people think. And, uh, and, you know, even with you using the, the software that you use absinthe and, um, so when you you're putting out uh, an animated film, uh, I think your most recent one was I, I've come here for the truth, or you know. Yeah. Uh, so when you say you're doing a 14-hour animation day, is that is it like 10 days like that for one of those shorts, or what? What's what's the grand total here? No, it's not 10. It, it'll be so. I've gotten really efficient. The first six I've the first six or seven I did, I was on a mouse and keyboard. And that wasn't by like that wasn't because like I didn't want a drawing pad, it's cause I had twenty dollars in my bank account and I I had a mouse and keyboard and I had these ideas I wanted to execute. Mm-hmm. And um since then, I've gotten a drawing tablet. Once, like once the channel blew up, and I'm like, oh, I'm actually earning some living off of this. I got a drawing tablet, and I've probably doubled the efficiency at which I can make them. And even then, that that most recent one took me 30 hours, which is incredible for an animation. Like pumping out a two to three minute animation in 30 hours is way better than frame by frame or yeah. traditional rotoscoping would yield. But it's it's not far off from what any animator, because a lot of animators on YouTube use a very simplified style. Yeah. And, and I think uh, it's not far off from that amount of time that you would any other style. And so animation is almost impractical on YouTube unless you're a lunatic like me who... <laughs> puts in the time and that's why i do live action not only because i love live action and i think live action speaks to the heart of my work even better i think the live action gets across these people having fun and goofing around Mm -hmm. in a way that the animation almost puts a mask over even though my animations are shot the exact same way they're also improvised also Uh, but um that yeah, animation on YouTube, it's like unless you go super simple, you're you're gonna have to put in some forty hour weeks yeah. on the animation alone. And that's not even considering filming other stuff, uh managing the channel, responding to messages, you know, that's forty hours of animating. And it was the second RPG one that well the third RPG one that I, I put in a seventy hour week into that. Okay. And that that might have been five or six, ten hour days in a row at at least. It, and, is the majority of the time coming from having the Ebsynth software have errors and then having to go in and make new frames more than you expected, or or is it just the design of the backgrounds? 
it's uh the the absinthe i've gotten to a point where it does pretty well what i want you know uh there are times where you move enough that you're like okay this shot's gonna take me four or five drawings and that's okay you know but but it's mostly just tracing you know each each time you create a frame of a character you're looking at anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes of tracing and coloring mm -hmm. and then you multiply that by a hundred because you know you make a hundred uh, usually for like a especially a longer video you're i'm working on one now that i don't want to give anything away but i'm a lunatic because it's going to be like a it's going to be like a 10 minute animation yeah and it, it, it it's going to be worth it for the payoff but it's gonna yeah I, that's what i was working on this week and i just was doing it before we called as okay. well. It's yeah. uh it's it's good to hear that reference point. I'm uh I'm actually good I'm working on an Ebsynth uh, music video for an artist which I'm really excited about. Um the majority of the filmmaking I've done since I finished uh film school has actually been uh music videos just because uh there's a lot of really good musicians in the area and it, it to me kind of like you were saying earlier about getting freed from scripts and kind of tight constraints with the music video i can kind of have i can kind of experiment with visual creativity and and not have to justify any of it you know nobody's really asking why is this happening and mm. i think i think especially in hip-hop i've noticed this huge desire for cartoons um there's a lot of rappers with like cartoon versions of themselves as album covers and i see uh, like CGI videos sometimes made in Blender. Uh, but in terms of getting, you know, the classic like 2D cartoon look, that's something where you're either going to put a lot of time in it or it's going to look, you know, really cheap uh, and, you know, maybe cheap and uh, a little bit less endearing of a way. And um, th this artist where I'm going to be doing the Ebsynth video with um, uh, three years ago, I had tried failed and gave up on do doing a frame by frame music video because I was completely delusional that I could draw a few thousand <laughs> drawings mm -hmm. in Photoshop's timeline editor, you know? So when I found out about the Epson software where you could just film stuff and then convert it into a new look, you know, like a cartoon, it's, I, I think it's a really amazing tool and I'm, I'm really excited to make something, um, in, in that style. Um, and uh, it's it's good to hear from you, kind of a breakdown of like you know what how how many hours go into it because you know it it sounds like it sounds like a lot, but I don't think it's an unreasonable thing, you know. No, it 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 lends it. It's such a good tool, and I love it because yes, you do have to put in a whole work week to get like a two minute, three minute animation, but that is pretty unheard of as far as the quality is concerned, you know. Because you have, it's essentially 2D motion capture. That's how I've described it yeah. in the past. And you, you result, the, to have a fully moving, facial acted animation in a week that conveys a story in a world is pretty new. That's something that Absinthe has allowed. And I, um, I just drew a blank. Uh, I, I want people to like, I, I put the tutorial out mm -hmm. the, on my channel, the, how I animated this video mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be part entertainment, part informative enough to like give people that like, you know, go and do it, you know? Yeah. And, 
I've seen a lot, like there's so many people doing it now and the absinthe, uh, I don't know if it's actually called EB synth, but I can oh, really? call it absinthe. Okay, well, I, yeah. I, I call it absinthe. Some yeah. people I've heard call it the other thing, but the absinthe team, uh, reached out to me and they, they sent me a graph of their downloads and it was like, it went from like, yeah, it was like 200 times on a spike wow. the day I did that video. Yeah. And then you see the results of that on YouTube. There's dozens, if not hundreds of people doing like, you know, the Joel Haver style. Yeah, I've, the, I've seen that meme. around lately. Yeah, the meme has become. But, <laughs> and like that is just one example of how you could like, you know, show people here's something I like, I bet you never considered you could do animation. Well, here's this, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, I, or I bet you've tried animation, hated it. Here's <laughs> another try to not hate it. You know, I, I found out about absinthe a few years ago uh, because uh, corridor digital is really good at kind of talking about new uh, creative solutions uh, a little bit earlier than a lot of people. And um, I remember thinking, this is incredible. I got to make something with this. And I literally forgot it existed and just never made anything. And mm. um, I'm pretty sure I had seen some of your uh, sketches before. And, you know, just I was like, okay, this guy's doing cool stuff. And um, my, my, my buddy wound up sending me your tutorial. And that's what sent me down the rabbit hole of your channel. And I realized, like, oh, I already like this guy's stuff. And I thought it was... Um, really great that you were willing to kind of put out your process in full and make it not only just an explanation of how you make stuff, but a little bit of a step-by-step -step because I think, I think the more information and education is free of charge, the more we'll just have good ideas out there in the world and that people are very, mm -hmm. you know, clenching of, you know, these proprietary ideas, you know, and, um, yeah. uh, I drew a little bit of a blank too, but I, yeah, I, I've just wanted to say to you, like, I, I, I'm glad you made that tutorial video. I, uh, my, uh, I was hanging out with my uh, musician friend who we're going to do the music video for. And I, I actually had him watch that with me because I wanted him to be aware of how we were going to make what we were going to, uh, because, you know, musicians and video makers we our processes are very different and it can be kind of mysterious to each other and i kind of believe in having transparency so that they have a more firm mental picture of what i got to do to get something done in a certain period of time you know so then that way i'm not just mm -hmm. telling them uh 40 70 hours of work and they they have no idea what that means and i remember mm -hmm. we were watching you to your tutorial and it gets to the point where it kind of breaks the fourth wall and like the video we're watching is inside the video <laughs> and i remember mm -hmm. he, i remember he turns to me and he just says how is this possible he said how does this exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wanted it to be a little weird like wait how did this happen and, yeah yeah uh, i um i'm glad people have latched onto that video because you know i saw absinthe like i've been doing them f since 2019 i did like three three maybe four before the rpg one and i put in all the work and they just never took off so i was like these aren't worth it you know yeah until the rpg one i'm like oh maybe they are worth it but you know i saw it in like 2019 and i did a music video for my own song with it that was the first thing i did with absinthe and then i did the galactic emperor and then i did some <laughs> yeah. of that and uh i i'm kind of shocked because you know I didn't see, like, I saw people running tests with it, like, animating over existing stuff, trying to give it, like, a new style. Mm -hmm. And 
But I didn't see anyone creating like original content with it and just filming themselves live action and creating animations. And I, I didn't think I was doing anything that crazy, but it was the tutorial video and I guess the explosion of the RPG that I was like, sometimes people just need to be shown that these tools are out there and here's a, here's a applicable use for them that you mm -hmm. can do today, you know? Because I think when Epsith came out, it was very technical, you know? If you watch their tutorials, just like, create a visual style over your video. And and it doesn't go further than that. It doesn't show you something fun you can do with it. Yeah. You know? And I think, I think we need more creative tutorials out there. We need information presented in a way that conveys the the output of what you're gonna do you know that yeah it, it, i think that was where the tutorial came in that their stuff couldn't inspire the same that that's a great way of putting it i've always thought that the internet will eventually have the the bob ross of tutorials and what i mean by that is you know bob <laughs> ross is essentially giving a youtube tutorial on how to paint a mountain but he makes it really engaging and fun and it has its very own specific vibe and personality and you know so many tutorials are like hey guys i'm jim from fxfx and today i'm gonna it's like hey man i already know what you're gonna show me that's why i clicked on the <laughs> title so like you know trim this first minute and then uh you know and then from there like you said it's very technical and usually not showing something super fun you can do with it um i think i think the the best thing you did with your tutorial is you showed how you could wear like a hat that would in a silhouette change the shape of your head and your body and how then you could use that to like make new possibilities. So like mm -hmm. there's, there, there's a, there's going to be a scene in my video where I'm going to have somebody release like a cage of geese. And I was thinking like, okay, well, as long as I can find a cube shaped thing, like a box, I can have him do the motion. And then, you know, so I think it's like very, it's almost like a form of like magic, you know, where you're able to, you know, maybe not have a big budget to go to these, sci-fi locations or have all these crazy props but if you have a object that resembles another one you can just replace it out and do you know very creative solutions i i think the craziest realization i had with absinthe is i was like this opens the door to anything like like yes a lot of people have said like dude you should make a whole movie and i'm like God, I want to, but God, that's insane. Because I think I have, like, across all 20 of my animations, I don't even have an hour yet. Mm -hmm. And the the prospect of, like, wrapping my head around, like, doing all the animating I've ever done, if not more, for one project. And then, like, that's taken away from, like, the weekly shorts. And then I probably wouldn't be doing as many animations for the channel. Mm -hmm. But just... So it would take a lot to commit to it, but just the idea that's like, I could make Star Wars from my home now. You know, I could make, I could literally make Lord of the Rings. Like I, I, I like it would be animated, but there's no limit to what I could create with this thing. Yeah. And, and that's like just the power of these tools. Cause yes, movement is tricky. So like you can't have, unless you draw like every frame to the point that you're just doing rotoscoping at that point, Yeah, like full, full on rotoscoping. But 
you know, you can't have a crazy fight scene and a lot of movement and action unless you're ready to put in the time for that. But you can have dialogue and creatures and scenery and alien worlds and planets and weird shape things that, you know, on human characters. And, and it's just so exciting because even, even if I'm not crazy enough to commit to that, I hope somebody out there is currently working on it. And I yeah. don't know that. So, some homebrewed, like, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, like their own universe, you know, that yeah. like they could bring to life now because this technology has been shown to them. I was I was planning on having some fight scenes, so hearing you say that that's especially difficult makes me a little nervous. But I'm gonna I'm gonna try to commit to it. I uh, I want to have a character fighting himself essentially, so I'm gonna use like another guy of the same height and kind of yeah, like draw this dude's face on both of them essentially. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think you could get creative with it, and either you accept a lot of the glitchiness, which is what I do when there's a lot of movement. I yeah. I just accept. Or if you ma- there is a way to create mask that limits the glitchiness that I haven't even really dabbled with because I don't shoot on a green screen. Mm-hmm. But um, or you could like uh, just do stills, you know, kind of do like an anime style fight mm. where like you know it's like you get the wind up frame and they go and then you get the, yeah. the contact frame like still edit. It it really depends on. There's a lot of ways you could execute it where it wouldn't be such a pain. Go so I don't want to discourage you. No, no, you, you're not discouraging. It's just you know it's funny yeah. to hear from coming from you, especially uh, having so much success with it. Uh, g- going the anime way with stills is honestly a very smart uh, thing to do. Um, you know, Cor- uh, a little side tangent. Corridor Digital has made live action anime shorts, which I think are hilarious because they've gotten the the visual style of that sort of thing perfectly. I, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those shorts, but uh, I I watch a lot of their React stuff, and I think I've seen them bring it up in their React stuff, but I don't I, know if I've watched them. Th- they have this video called Anime Baseball, and it's like this highly dramatized thing of just a, a batter just you know getting ready to to hit a ball in baseball, and like they. They make this whole dramatic arc out of this guy going up against the umpire and um i think i think it's cool to see animation uh imitating live action and then live action imitating animation back and you know it's it's kind of this call and response thing a lot of a lot of the time with art and technology mm-hmm. and i think absinthe is cool because it's kind of a midpoint between live action and animation and you know it 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 it's a way of shooting that most people could wrap their heads around because they've filmed a friend with a cell phone or they've set up a cell phone on like a tripod. Or, yeah. Because that's all you really need. You, you don't really need good picture quality for absinthe as long as it's clear enough for it to trace the lines. Yeah. So it, it offers a gateway into a, a world of creativity because, you know, I complain about this a lot with my friend Trent, who's in a lot of the videos. We always get the comments, oh, this one, like every live action video, oh, this one should be animated. This one should be animated. It's like, it's like, it's like the animation to me is a practical tool. If I, if I need a sci-fi or fantasy world, I can't do that. So the animation a lot, I'm not just doing it to do it most of the time, you yeah. know, which was the, the joke of the million subscriber video where yeah. I, I did just do it just to do it, to show that it's like, it doesn't really add much, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I think like it's a practical tool and I think people should consider that. Like 
can I accomplish this live action easier then maybe you should but if you can't then definitely go animation if it has something like you're saying like a over the top fight scene or or geese (laughs) or or something it's like you you need to animate that but like like there, there needs to be that consideration of why you're it doesn't have to be so technical, but why you're shooting something away or why you're creating something away. Yeah. And sometimes that answer could be as simple as it was the way I chose to do that day, or it was the way that felt right. Mm-hmm. But you, you need to at least have that feeling about it, you know? Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing I, I, I haven't really started filming this one quite yet, but I, besides a few tests and uh, the big thing, that I've been trying to wrap my head around is filming at the correct perspectives. So then in the drawing world, it makes sense because for instance, if I have somebody like in a cockpit, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta kind of hit it from this angle so then I can draw like the borders, you know, and have people understand what's supposed to be happening. Um, is, do you not shoot on a green screen because you don't want to, it's just cumbersome to set up or is it because you're moving the camera around so much and it would get in the way? Like where, where does that come from? Uh, it comes from mainly that I was meeting, like a lot of the films I did, I was meeting up with friends like the RPG one and like it was during COVID. So we'd meet up outside and, Mm -hmm. you know, absinthe works as long as the background's still in absinthe, it essentially acts as a green screen, you know, because I don't know how the technology works exactly, but I think it's a frame to frame, pixel to pixel comparison with maybe some reference around each pixels. But so as long as the background's not changing in each frame, it will essentially act as a green screen regardless. Okay. So it was partially practical because I was like, we're meeting outside. I don't want to bring a green screen and find a way to set it up on a tree or something. Yeah. Or I don't have any stamps or anything, but, um, but it was also like it, the technology allows you to film anywhere and that's really fun because you don't have to, you know, have this like hot light. I don't have that hot of I have a crummy photo light and that's it. But, sure. But like, yeah, but, I, I noticed you put the cardboard around it, too, to like <laughs> angle it more, which, you know, again, just really. Yeah. Yeah. Creative. <laughs> the, that's the only light I have to this day. But uh, yeah, I guess that's a. Uh, you can use a green screen and the benefit, like I said, would be if you export an alpha mask of it, it will crop out your character. And because you'll see in my videos, if a hand moves, there's like the shadow mm-hmm. or, or the, the mm-hmm. history of the hand. And um, and what the mat the mat would do is it would, you know, track your hand as a green screen and cut out on the alpha mat. Yeah. I was thinking I, w- I was going to change the shutter angle to have as little motion blur as humanly possible so all the individual frames are like crystal clear. I, I don't know if mm-hmm. you do that sort of thing. Another idea I've had that I haven't tried, and it, it would take like two or three times the amount of time to like render, but filming in slow motion just so there's less difference between each frame yeah. could be a good idea. You know, I haven't tried it. But like filming and animating in slow motion, then just rendering it back at twenty four FPS. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking about doing the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, the the, fi- the files will be bigger, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, 
Yeah, I uh, well, listen, I want to be mindful of your time. I I wanted to ask you just one more thing and then we could get out of here if that if that's all right. Um, right. I was just I I was wondering, like, what it sounds like you watch a lot of stuff, including, you know, world cinema. What sort of what are you inspired by mostly? And do, do, do you watch like a lot of cartoons? Because I think even with like your live action stuff, it has a very cartoonish sensibility. And I'm just wondering like, if there's like a main thing that you just love more than anything. There, there's a lot of people I could point to. And I think uh, inspiration goes both ways in a weird way. You'll see stuff and then you'll emulate it. And then there's this other weird inspiration where something you're already doing you see somebody else has done it and you're like, Oh, I'm on the right path. And that's something that happened with me with, uh, John Cassavetes in particular. He's my, John Cassavetes is the goat for me. Okay. (laughs) I, I, but I love his stuff. And, um, you know, he was somebody who was just getting his actor friends together, improvising, and then creating a film through that improv. He often, he had a little more of a process. He would improv, turn it into a script and then loosely film that script. And then, um, but, but what he was doing showed me like, Oh, this thing I'm doing is right. You know, this thing I'm doing can result in a film. That's like, that's cherished or holds, stands the test of time at the very least. And, um, so he was something that where I saw him, I got like retroactively inspired, like, yes, I'm on the right track. And then I kept watching him and then I got forward inspired because I was like, yeah, now let's like take some of that. So his conversations and the way he tackles love and dynamics of characters is so unlike anyone else. And I love that. And I, I don't think a lot of this is hard to relate to my shorts sometimes, mm-hmm. but um, I think it relates more to like my at least how I tackle love and ideas of love and then another filmmaker that did that kind of retroactive thing in a more extreme sense is Sai Ming Lang okay. I'm not sure if you've heard of him he's, I, I think I've heard the name but I'm not familiar he's done some pretty crazy movies and my favorite one is called I Don't Want to Sleep Alone and his movies are just these super super naturalistic glacial paste uh like uh mood pieces almost where like you know there'll be a shot on like a character like limping down a grainy street and it will go on for three minutes and they're like they test your patience and a lot (laughs) of the times your mind does wander during his movies because he has one film called stray dogs and i I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, but there's one scene that's literally a 26 minute shot of two characters staring straight ahead past the camera and you don't see what they're staring at. And (laughs) and, like, he's like that level of extreme. And I don't think my stuff is nearly that patience testing, but seeing, seeing that after I finished pretend that you love me, I dove into his work and I saw it and I was like, I was like, yes, like, it doesn't matter if things are long and the camera is still and it doesn't move and it can be as wide as it wants to be. And it, and his stuff is so impactful to me. And I was like, here's a guy shooting a totally different way. And he's completely unconcerned with entertaining you. He's, yeah. he's more about selling you on an atmosphere and get, getting you lost in a feeling and maybe getting you lost in your own head. I think 
his later stuff is straight up like meditation based. Like it's like he has this series called the Walker, which is these 20 minute, 30 minute shorts of a guy just walking. Yeah. And that's like a monk walking. And I think his stuff is emulating meditation in a way where it's okay that your mind wanders and it's okay. The film isn't constantly gripping you because your subjective truth is in this film, you know? Yeah. Like a, a film is always like, is always victim to your subjectivity, you know, and what you bring into a film is just as valuable as what a film shows you. And I think he showed me that more than anyone. Yeah. And then lastly, I already talked about Iranian Kiristami, Jafar Panahi. Those two guys uh, really do a lot of incredible work of like, I guess the one I'd talk about that would sound the most exciting is Jafar Panahi because of the films he made the, the in in his film taxi there's like he reads off the list of like what the iranian government says films need to be and it's absurd <laughs> but like essentially yeah. he got banned by the government from making movies and he was like put on house arrest and and uh and that's, he, that's, uh, that's crazy and he made this great movie, like documentary, maybe not documentary. It's tough to say. Called "This Is Not a Film." Mm. During the time he was banned from making films, yeah, and it's kind of him at home, just like tack rummaging with this idea of like, if he says it's not a film, then is it not a film? And yeah. therefore, he couldn't get arrested for it. Yeah. And you know, there's just it's a whole different world, but there's a relatability there in that that the anxieties and pressures you put on yourself can and what a film needs to be and should be are the things you should first act against you know the things you should first be like okay what are these anxieties how do i confront them how do i defy them and just make a movie yeah yeah okay well great yeah those are really good answers i i it's i always really like hearing people talk about the stuff that they really like and are passionate about uh that you know i i love being able to share with people the sort of stuff i'm really into and you know vice versa um and like the main reason that question was on my mind is because i think a lot of your videos if not all of them kind of tackle very specific uh expectations uh from tropes and a lot of time media tropes you know like with the uh, not the Galactic Emperor, but the other uh, space one where, you know, you have the guy giving the orders about, you know, the insane asteroid belt and him just being like, well, let's just not drive through it. You know, I, I think I think that it, it, it shows that you have a very keen eye to um, I, I don't want to say cliches because that, that seems a little uh, dismissive, but um, you un- you un- think- yeah you understand you know kind of traditional story and character arcs and you're kind of playing with them in ways that I think people enjoy because it's a little bit you know off what we're told to expect. Mm-hmm. And I think I've always said number one the best way to learn how to make movies is just do it. You know mm-hmm. you you're not gonna learn nearly as fast in a classroom as you would just grabbing a camera and filming and recording audio and editing and and the second best way is to watch movies you know watch a lot of movies and i think way down the list somewhere is film school and i i don't i'm not that negative about film school but trying to point to like four years of education and trying to like 
in my head wrestle with what I actually learned in those four years. I'm like, how much of that was the school and how much of it was just my passion and drive and creating stuff? Yeah. And, and could that have happened without school? Maybe. And probably. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I feel that I feel the exact same way. I've actually talked about that a little bit at length with other filmmakers on here. So, uh, it's uh, anytime I see somebody talented echoing that sort of sentiment, it makes me feel a little bit better. Well, um, th- thank thank you so much for chatting with me. I hope I didn't eat up too much of your day, but uh, I-, I had a really good uh, talk. I-, I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, great. Thanks. Th- thanks for having me. Uh, you didn't eat up too much of my day. This is just saving me from putting in a ridiculous day animating. I probably needed a break anyway. So yeah. Thanks for having me. And I-, I will probably listen to this while animating. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll stop the recording here in a moment. But uh, yeah, th- right. thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. It was great. I really... I think we have, we we went on like the middle was funny because it was just about iPhones and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but we 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 bookended it with filmmaking, which yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> well, you know when I when I have people on, I, I I think you know even though I'm having them on because maybe I have a specific interest in what they do, that's not necessarily yeah. what we have to talk about, you know, because we all exist in the world and just kind of have these thoughts and whatnot. Yeah, and, and not like everyone is not their their uh their main career or hobby you know everyone is uh, a combination of all their interests 